How do you do? Mr. Carl Lemley feels it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. on uh, Frankenstein. Oh, yes. And Dracula, because it was relevant. Uh, <laughs> and I have this book, which I have uh, like folded down pages in and quotes that I'm going to pull from. Uh, and I also brought my friend. <laughs> well, <laughs> those who can't see, uh, does it does the doll have a name? This is the Frankenstein Monster High Collector's Edition doll. He came with Bride. Like, she was really the get of the set, but she's over on her little thing right now because we're not talking about her. All right. Okay. Tonight is all about him. <laughs> and regrettably, Nicolas Cage, but mostly him. Well, let's talk about mostly him, uh, the Frankenstein monster, because... Is that kind of an inception point of, like, your favorite pop culture thing? Because I know you love the monster, like, the, the whole universe around it, but I feel like you like it the most of any pop culture thing, so I want to give you the floor to talk about that, if you would. Yeah, I mean, so, chronologically, Dracula came first. Yeah. Just for a point of clarity. The first one I saw was Wolfman... Okay. And I didn't like it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was also like six. So I was the prime age to not like it. I think that Bride is the one where I like was like, hey, partially because that's a lady. And we haven't really had <laughs> one of those before. Um, but also just like, and I'm sure we'll talk about this when we get kind of into the film proper. These movies are like, truncated versions of two hour and 20 minute plays okay and they are all which are all based on like chunky novels yeah yeah and somehow they are all just like high and tight and right <laughs> yeah uh, frankenstein was what hour 10 minutes hour 10 no monster until minute 25 <laughs> yes very true very true it wastes no time yeah you know what? I gotta respect it. They 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 knew film was expensive. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
was science fiction movies like a thing in this era? No, not really. Yeah. This yeah. was kind of the first in a big way. Yeah. But also Frankenstein was like the first science fiction novel, basically. Okay. It is widely considered as such, except by a lot of men who don't want to admit that a woman created something they value. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So just go ahead and be mindful of that. But the other thing that I think is really interesting about specifically the Frankensteins is the contribution of James Whale. Okay. Um, James Whale. I'm, I'm going to put Frankenstein on the other side uh, so he can watch and not be in the way. Um, James Whale is a director who we like now know is gay and was like kind of known at the time, but not in his like mm. public persona. And as a side effect of this, he kind of had to have two versions of himself. Okay. Uh, and the idea of separating out autonomy, asking to be born versus being forced to be who you are, being persecuted for something you have no control over. Yeah. And then Bride of Frankenstein just being a film. I mean, Frankenstein is about it, too. But Bride of Frankenstein is just about two people looking for connection. Okay. And just people assuming so much about what they want. Yeah. That they, they can never truly be happy. I won't say that it uh, directly parallels the queer experience in the 30s, but it uh, probably pretty closely parallels the queer experience in the 30s. Yeah, yeah. And having that additional angle with which to look at things, I think, is very interesting. Yeah. And the thing that this movie executes so well is this is not a triumphant we killed him movie. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Like this is a we did what we had to do to survive movie and him, you know, really the only trait we have about him by the end of the movie is uh that he's afraid of fire. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing that he experiences is just burn. Yeah. All around him. And at, at this point, all he did was scare a couple of people by being ugly and kill a little girl because he has the brain of a toddler and the strength of a grown man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised. Actually, I, I read that initially they kind of the censor board in some states they cut out the actual toss in the water. But I, I, I was surprised they actually showed like he actually yeeted her in the lake. That was right. that was kind of surprising. So this scene was actually not seen in its entirety for almost 50 years. And I think that's really it's amazing that there are intact versions of this movie, given yeah. everything it had to go through. This is from uh, The Monster Show by David J. Skull. This is the revised edition circa 2007, I think. I don't have the most up to date one. 2004, excuse me. This is from chapter, uh, the 1931, the American Abyss chapter. One of the most famous scenes in Frankenstein is one that was not seen in its entirety for almost 50 years. Karloff insisted years later that the scene didn't work because James Whale had insisted that he throw the child with a brutal overhead motion rather than set her gently on the water. Karloff, who had back problems, was incapable of hurling the little girl very far, and the resulting compromised action looks buffoonish and unthreatening. Fortunately, just the idea of the child's death was sufficiently upsetting. No little girl is going to drown in one of my pictures, Carl Lamley Jr. is reported having fumed to his secretary. 
So that scene was cut for many engagements, ending with the monster reaching out for the child, and ironically, leaving many viewers with the impression that they had been spared the spectacle of a shocking molestation. Whoa. I guess in some ways it becomes more threatening from doing that, but it misconstrues the point, and that's not who this character we then follow for the rest of the movie is. Yeah. He's gentle. He's not smart, but he's gentle. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole point. He never really tries to hurt anybody. If you had to guess, how many times have you watched Frankenstein? Maybe like 15. Okay, that's that's a really good number. That's a really big number. Bride's like probably approaching 50. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, um, you know, you know those memes of like girls say, "Let me put on my comfort movie," and it's like Scream or whatever. Yeah. That's kind of me with Bride, because it's one of those movies where I can just like stop whatever I'm doing and look up at it and be like, "Oh, this is what's happening now." Okay. I also I get a kick out of the fact that that film is the first film to actually acknowledge Mary Shelley's contribution. Okay. In what ways? She's in the movie as a character. Oh, wow. That's yeah, so the, like, you know the framing device where they have the person come out and explain that something scary is about to happen in Frankenstein? Yeah. The framing device in Bride is Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley and Lord Byron are having a, a soiree, which they were all fucking each other, so, hey. you know, whatever. And it's a, a thundering, storming night, and... They were so charmed by her little Frankenstein story that, oh, couldn't you come up with another one, Mary? <laughs> okay. And Mary Shelley is played by Elsa Lancaster, and so is Bride. Okay. All right. That's cool. That's cute. Yeah. Uh, should we I have watched? still got a lot of the, like, 30s-esque, like, tell us a story since you're such a creative dame, she. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean that that comes that came with the territory unfortunately so but but she delivered so there's that. <laughs> I will also say Bride of Frankenstein no Mary Shelley involvement. Uh, she was long dead at the time and uh, that has no base in any other stuff that had been written. That is entirely James Whale spitballing basically. <laughs> okay, is it kind of based off a little bit of her? to the writings or just all from him i believe that it is pretty much all from him in the studio however i think that there is some elements of it that perhaps are him trying to incorporate or acknowledge some of his own feminine attributes okay in that but since he could not do that as a man he, in narrative, blames it on a woman he knows. <laughs> okay. okay. But because you've done uh, extensive reading on this subject, what are some other kind of interesting things about Frankenstein that, uh, that you have read up on or you kind of discovered throughout the years? Well, one of my favorite stories is that the actress who plays Elizabeth – was so frightened in the scene that is just her and Frankenstein that she she was not able to keep her composure. She was so frightened. She had never seen him in the makeup before, at least not up close. And he was a very tall man. So with his hand facing away from the camera, he would wave his 
pinky finger at her. <laughs> so she okay. wouldn't be scared and she could see that like Boris, her friend Boris, was waving at her okay. and was there to take care of her. First of all, we love a consent king in the 30s. Um, <laughs> yes, very much so, yes. But I think that it says quite a lot about the culture that this film was released into, where it was banned in Belfast, South Australia, Czechoslovakia, and Sweden. It was banned in Massachusetts. Mm. It was uh, heavily cut down in Texas. And they offered a cash prize for any woman who would sit in the theater by herself and watch it. Oh, wow. So you're saying we need to build a time machine, send you back in time to, to get these cash prizes? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, one, $1 in 1934. Well, if we put if we put that $1 into some kind of a savings account for a bank that did not go under, we, could, uh, we can clean up. We can yeah, clean up. no, it's going to be great. 1931, so even better. Even more dollars. There it is. Um, but this is also, I think, like, Dracula obviously came first. And so there were other films before this, by the way, like, um, I think it's The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is one of them. But, like, this was, the, like, the second American movie that was really about monsters. Like, yeah. there had been, there was a movie about a group of freaks from a freak show who all went feral and killed somebody. Isn't that just called Freak Show? What's it called? I think it's called Freaks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's on my watch list. It's very upsetting. Oh, yeah, 1932, Freaks, yeah. Or, like, the show is a similar Freak Show-based thing, right? But this is this is the second time that America has had a mainstream release about monsters. This is a really great quote especially given that like the second world war was was going to happen in the next 10 years and all this other stuff was going to happen and the second world war really interestingly like gave way to a lot of the horror b movies that we now know because the campy horror of that time was able to like anyway like it it seemed silly compared to like the horrors of actual war but like was still Mm -hmm. like interesting enough that like young people would go you know what I mean? But this is this was said about Frankenstein. Morbidity is not without its claim to a high place among humanity's respectable emotional interests. This was written by, in the motion picture, Harold, uh, in its discussion of Frankenstein. Which I think is really interesting because that's really what Mary Shelley wrote it about. Like, she wrote Prometheus' story. Okay. And, like, when her husband died, well, first of all, she lost her virginity on her parents' grave. But she also uh, carried her dead husband's calcified heart around with her because it was still kind of fringe for mourning. But like lavish, deeper mourning was so much more expected at the time. And I think it's very interesting that the pendulum swung so far the other way that we had to just like cut half of the movie to get it in theaters. So in theory, there's still way more footage that is just lost to time. I'm not sure because it seems like at this point we have a fairly like we have him chucking the little girl. We have all of the beats are intact. Right. But there are definitely pages of script that they were told they couldn't shoot or things that they were told. Oh, no, no, you can't include that. But 
you know, while I don't largely agree with censorship, part of me does wonder if the challenges of that are what allowed, like, these are both this and Dracula, which I revisited just to make sure I didn't miss any disembodied arms being used as projectile weapons. (laughs) I do think that their challenges in that area of censorship may have really helped them be creative and and flourish in a way that we just don't have now. And I kind of wish Renfield had had. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, before we before we do the pivot, <laughs> before we do the pivot, because Renfield was uh, was this your first time watching Frankenstein? From beginning to end, yes. It's been like just a pop culture staple my entire life. So there's been like rap songs that I've heard with like it's it's alive drops. There's like just movies that has popped up in even like reading it like I've never like sat down and watched a movie before, but it's always just been I feel like a, a shadow in pop culture in my life. Uh so yeah, this is my first time actually watching it. And my experience with it was pretty positive actually. Uh, I I do try to envision contextually what it would be like to watch it at that period. I don't know if I would have been allowed to watch it (laughs) in some places at that period, but I still try to at least imagine what it would have been like to have seen that live. And I probably would have shit when I saw like the hand move or whatever. (laughs) One of the things that I think is so interesting watching it now is how obvious it is to me that he sees the flowers and they're pretty and they float and he sees the little girl and she's pretty. And that's just the logic extension. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know. She made a lot of noise for nobody to notice, but okay. Um, (laughs) are we going to nitpick her death? (laughs) I mean, just saying I noticed probably would have noticed. Okay. Oh, I wanted to ask Uh, you something. So when we talk about, and I, I largely agree that, and I don't even calling it the monster. I even feel that's a little kind of iffy because it's kind of a label that it or he kind of somewhat unjustly kind of deserves. I mean, it's monstrous how it was created, you know. And yeah, then obviously, I mean, the who is the monster here though, right? Yeah, that's the, the thing, creation yeah. or the createe. And one of the things that they that I believe. I read the novel a couple of years ago, but I'm like 85% sure it ends with him and the doctor on an iceberg together. I would argue that, first of all, I don't know that he necessarily kills more people in this one, but uh, he's definitely like not, he, he's like slightly, like he can talk. Okay, yeah. Which they kind of get into in Bride, but not really. Like it's, it's all situation. 
even more so than this one. I think that Henry deserves to be punished a lot more than the creature. I mean, yeah, his his only punishment is basically fucking up his back on the, the windmill, and that's it. Like, he still got to marry with that beautiful woman mm-hmm. and continue his life. Like, kind of nothing happened, so... So, yeah, and yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know what happens. Well, what does anything happen to him in the second movie at all? Or is he a part of it very much? Henry? Yes. Yeah. So uh, Henry's becomes friends with an old man who lives alone with his dolls named Dr. Praetorius. Okay. Incoming queer allegory. <laughs> and Dr. Praetorius and Dr. Frankenstein at Frankenstein's urging, build a girl. So two men create life together. (laughs) Because Frankenstein is basically like, listen, you made me and people fucking hate me. So you better make me a hot girl or a friend at least. And then she sees him after being alive for two seconds and freaks the fuck out because she's been alive for two seconds (laughs) <laughs> and then Frankenstein takes it really personally and is like, oh, she hates me because she knows me. <laughs> and she like, Elizabeth leaves because she's in that one too. And uh, Henry and I think Henry might get out with, with his girlfriend. But Dr. Praetorius and Frankenstein and Bride die because he blows up the castle while they're in it. Oh, my. Because the only chance he ever had at being accepted rejected him out of hand without even ever considering him. Okay. A lot of people describe it as their their first time, like in a movie like this, where they see a woman say no. Oh, wow. And I mean, she says no, cause she's been alive for, and I cannot stress this enough, like two <laughs> seconds. Um, okay. And he's just over dramatic and is like, well, that's it for me. It's over. Like, <laughs> okay. And then, yeah, there's also now the extended theme park continuity, which, like, the Bride of Frankenstein Lives house includes. And I believe there's also a movie where he he gets a son somehow, but that's kind of when things get, like, a little too funky fresh, and I kind of dip. Okay. There is a time where, like, there's Dracula's daughter, which rocks, and they're remaking it, and I'm so mad, because I <laughs> bet Dracula's daughter is going to be Anya Taylor-Joy, and I, bleh. Oh, Wow. Hayden, what's, what's going on there? I like her fine. I just, there are other women, you know? Are there? There's got to be at least one. Mm. She's not buying all the period products in the world. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Not with that attitude, she isn't. Um. <laughs> so what about the movie itself? Other than kind of the queer allegory of it, what are some of the things about the movie itself that you're at least interested in or fascinated by? First of all, the fact, again, that they get all of that amount of story told in 10 minutes over an hour and somehow it doesn't feel rushed. Yeah. I think is awesome. It is dialed in. It knows exactly what it's doing. It knows exactly where everyone is standing. It is bop, 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 bop. (laughs) McDonald's? I'm loving it. Um, And (laughs) this is one of those movies where I don't leave feeling satisfied. Okay. Well, yeah. But not in a way that is unsatisfying, if that makes sense. Like, in my mind, Henry needs to be punished. 
because he has done something horrible. And the first thing he does is try to skirt responsibility. He's yeah. like, oh, well, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I thought it was going to be cool. Um, <laughs> he literally says, I know what it feels like to be God and was like, well, I'm let y'all handle that. Yeah. Ah, shit. God is this is not like fun. Like I thought I thought it was going to be like Dionysus <laughs> God. But like, nah, that was a that was a joke for all my uh, Greek Greek mythology queers. Um. <laughs> Shout out to y'all. Shout out to you guys. You guys, the gals and others. Shout out to you. Um, but. It is a movie where we see the continued lack of consequences for rich white people. Mm-hmm. And even the movie seems sad about that. How so? Explain it out. I mean, the repeated shots of him in the burning windmill. Yeah. And the palpable distress and the crying that he does and the beating on the wall. Like, they would not cut to that so much if they did not want you to at least consider empathizing with him. Yeah. If they didn't want you to think about it like that, they would have done, like, a Wicked Witch of the West and just, bam, <laughs> house, legs, roll up, ding, dong. Which, like, And it's not like that. Yeah. The music as that scene cuts out is sad and it's heavy and it is a dark cut to black. Yeah. And I think that might be the longest to black in the whole film. Because it lasts like two to three seconds. Yeah. So you just have to sit with the fact that this man was created, escaped, shunned, killed someone by accident, and died in a day. I wonder if they cheered. And you did that. I wonder if people cheered in 1931. I'm sure they did. Yeah. I'm sure they did. But also, like, I think that we were a lot more likely to rally behind a common enemy back then than perhaps we are now as a society. And I also think that just being hypercritical of the other was, I won't say more socially acceptable because a lot of us seem to be trying to bring it back, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I would say more normalized. Yeah. But I'm also sure that there are people who once they got over the the horror of his appearance, and I think part of the reason why this movie has endured for so long is because of the immense sadness that is left in the wake of this white guy's God complex. <laughs> yes, yes. And also, I think that the, the, the really brilliant part of it is that it is really timeless. By setting it in a small town in Bavaria, it... It creates this, this could be happening right now feeling, yeah. or this could have been a hundred years ago. And there's really no way to tell. Yeah. Which adds another like layer of staying power. And I'm sure that there were, you know, people who went to go see this movie and cheered when, when he died. And then they went home and they thought about it. Well, I hope so. I fucking hope so, man. And I, I think that, the Mary Shelley novel does a really good job about that as well, right? Because the monster ends with with Victor, Henry in the movie, for some reason, dying. And the monster visiting his grave and basically saying, I regret everything I've ever done. Yeah. I'm sorry I couldn't have been a better son to you, basically. And uh, claiming that he's going to kill himself. And that framing is so wild because... 
I just remember in the in the speaking of white men taking no accountability in the novel, he like goes back to college. He like creates life, <laughs> and then it's like shit. If I miss another lab section, I'm gonna get an F. Like, I mean, I've been there before. Yeah, but like you didn't build a man in your basement, did well. you? So that's where Kellen came from. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) What up, you mutant miscreants? It is I, Orokosaki, a.k.a. The Shredder, here to tell you about the Shredhead podcast, starring me, the Shredder, and my best friend, my main brain, the brains of the outfit I'm talking about, Krang. Krang is there. He's my producer. We have a podcast. It's utterly ridiculous. It's an insane premise. Uh, to top it all off, I I haven't even seen the Ninja Turtles in years, but we're primarily talking about hoops. Yes, the national, the national BA, the W national BA. Um, oh damn it! I've run into the lyrics. I'm sorry, but just check out the Shredhead podcast. It's me. It's Crying. It's crazy. And this is a thing I'll say about the direction as well. And this is a high a high compliment, I think, for James Whale. And I think he does it in every one of his, like, he does it in Bright as well. But he's it's very noticeable here for me. He loves them all so much. Okay. You can tell that he's, like, kind of proud of Henry when Frankenstein comes to life, right? And maybe he doesn't love them all the whole time. But he's proud of Henry for doing that. And he is proud of Elizabeth when she finally says, like, heaven hasn't been very far away. And she kind of <laughs> stands up for herself. And and he's proud of the little girl for trusting him and being mm-hmm. nice to Frankenstein. And he's proud of how quickly the village rallies together, even though it's not necessarily the right thing. Yeah. You can feel that in every shot, in every musical choice. Yeah. In a way that it just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, would you say that for movies in general or sci-fi specifically? Or horror sci-fi? I think that there are a lot of horror directors who think they're doing this. Mmm. Okay. And I don't think a lot of them are. They love the genre, but not necessarily people? I think that there are a lot of scenes in movies where they are proud of the wrong things Mm, okay so i would argue like i'm I'm trying to think of a good example because i have a couple not great examples i would argue that halloween ends is really proud of the twist on the michael myers story they're telling yeah instead of being proud of laurie for making it this far Instead of being proud of Michael for his tenacity and drive. Instead of being proud of, God, I can't remember her name. The daughter? Yeah, the, grand- the, the granddaughter. Yeah. Uh, for surviving the death of her mom and these numerous attacks on her life and her attempts to be normal. And instead they're proud of this guy we don't know who also killed a kid by accident. <laughs> yeah. And only him. Kind of rough kind of rough but i feel like the movie thought it was doing that you know what i mean yeah 
if David Gordon Green ever listens to our show, I'm sure I'm going to get a really strongly worded email that's like, how dare you imply that I don't love Laurie Stra? And I'm just going to have to be like, that was just my read. I might be wrong. I don't know you. Do you want to come on and talk about your movie about Disneyland? Because I would love to hear about how much you love Bob Gurr specifically and how much you love the sheep sperm monkey gonad methamphetamines that Bob Cummings took right before he cheated on his wife on live television on opening day. Like, I would love to hear about your love. Cummings? Yeah, Bob Cummings. Um. All right. Bobby coming. Bobby going. Uh I I gotta make you watch the opening day Disneyland special sometime because it is insane. Right. It, it stars Bob Cummings and Ronald Reagan. Oh, whoa. In nineteen fifty-five. <laughs> the cocaine cowboy. All right. All right. Oh no, 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 no methamphetamines sheep uh, sperm monkey uh, gonads and vitamins get it right please oh man they're, they're wild ass times boys and wild ass times the narrative already has an angle right the narrative is already trying to be like who's the bad guy here really right and then the director just decides to not really weigh in like the studio kind of makes him but he's able to subvert that by giving us those moments of the monster being in pain and scared and they're effective as hell. Yeah. And like to, to kind of bring it back to like, you can tell he's proud of, like you can tell that he is so proud of Frankenstein for trying to fucking live after all of the horrible shit that's been done to him in the one day he's been alive. Yeah. He and doesn't that kind of make him a man in yeah. a way that you and I would be considered a man? Yeah. And I just think that that depth is something that is often imitated, but never really, not never, but often not landed. Yeah, I'm thinking of your point as far as directors not necessarily valuing the right things. And I kind of think that even though I like bodies, 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 I don't think it necessarily appreciates the woman that it's actively critiquing i, I think, think that that's a great example yeah like i i thought i thought the comment was funny and i think the critiques were sharp but at the same time would you say that is a person who actually likes people of this generation or queer women or women of the generation that's uh um, i feel it was especially mean to women of color i would i would agree to that I agree, I agree with but that. But, like, you know what I think is actually, and I did not particularly like this movie, but I think is actually a really good example of be getting all the proud stuff right, just with a worse script. Megan. Oh, well, you got to tell me about that, because I, I never saw it yet, so you got to tell me about that. Oh, okay. That. It's poorly written, and it's really shitty in, in that area, and it's, like, noticeably shitty in that area. Okay. But it's about a little girl, and in the first scene, her parents die, and she survives a car accident, and she has to live with her aunt. Oh, and her aunt okay. is a, a toy creator, and she creates Megan, and she is basically encouraging this little girl to socialize with Megan to help her refine Megan so she can sell Megan. But also, this little girl is starting to only trust Megan because nobody else has been nice to her since her parents died. Okay. That's kind of the general sum up. And every time this little girl has a growth moment, 
The movie is proud of her. And every time this aunt, who's a shit aunt, but like tries to be a better aunt, the movie is proud of her. Or tries to make Megan better, movie is proud of her. And every time Megan is like, no, actually, I downloaded a bunch of like stuff about therapy, so I'm going to help her. The movie is proud of her. And especially because it's like a, a very strong female lead in the movie. Okay. Like the three main characters are female. I, I guess Megan's a female. I'm counting her as a female for this. Um, she's <laughs> okay. an android. So like, I don't know. That pride is really prevalent. Okay. The script is just awful. <laughs> uh, I should have saw when it was actually oh, in theaters. Oh, you know what's a good example? I know this isn't really a horror movie, but it's horror movie adjacent. Okay. That I think does it really well. Okay. Violent Night. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. The, yeah. It's it's a very different type of movie, but it does the thing I'm thinking of. Yeah, I dig. But also, how many films did I have to think through until I got to that? Yeah, very true. Very true. Like a, a metric buttload. Black Phone <laughs> also one that kind of has it. Yeah. I would say the Black Except- Phone is, is less nice to the grabber. Like... Yeah. If they made him more empathetic and less just like, the gays are going to think this is hot. They're going to call him <laughs> daddy. Like, I think the dad, though, they the dad is just kind of. Just fucking it's, a, it's a Stephen King alcoholic dad. It had to be that. There was no other choice. Touche. Touche. Coming down the aisle, representing the Hyphen Podcast Group, they are the unbeatable team of B-Hyphen. I'm just saying, you worked yourself into a shoot, answering the question. Handsome Bane. My, my firm belief is a DDT should beat anybody. Showing mad love. Rude me this, Batman. If two go in the pink. The <laughs> novelist. And catch an This is what Brock Lesnar thinks he looks like if Brock Lesnar were a beautiful woman. They are the Wrestlecast. Power I think that this deep love for every character including the villain is something that a lot of movies these days really lack yeah including renfield including renfield all right and i'm very very happy we talked about frankenstein first if we got to that great point (laughs) i will just say that I think the AFI list is fairly strong, and I think we've enjoyed a lot of the stuff that we've watched on it. But I will say I would be really interested to see if they were to reevaluate that list subsequently, if there would be any shifts towards, like, Bride or anything else like that, just because culture has accepted it a lot more widely now. But it also makes me think quite a lot of literary canon. Like, I, I was an English major in college. I read a lot of books. And, like, many of the best books ever written are not canonized because they were written by women or were about women mm. and never even mind about queer people. Also just a plug. If you like stuff like this, if you are interested in like, especially queer metatextual deep dives, 
Shudder has an amazing series called Queer for Fear. A couple of like friends of friends helped to make it. And it's really cool and I highly recommend it. They also have one for black horror cinema. Okay. That's yeah, also that. really, really good. Horror Noir, is, History of Black Horror, is the the show on Shudder. Yep. AFI, so the list initially was 98 and then they updated it in 07. So I don't know if they have in the like a, a 20, well, 25 years already passed. Uh, no, this year would be the 25th year, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so hopefully they updated for this year and we, we'll see what kind of shakes out. But, um, Kat, can I tell you a secret? Yeah. So I think there's a solid 10 minutes of Renfield that I may or may not have fallen asleep on. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, I lost consciousness, so... It could have been sleep. I could have just blinked a long time. But uh, you know, so the beginning, there's a the, the it opens with the therapy scene. The therapy scene kind of ends with them saying, you know, take your power back. You know, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, about ten seconds after that, it gets a little bit black, and then I don't see things again until after the apparent restaurant fight. If there was a restaurant fight. I don't oh, know if so there you, was one. You missed the best part of the movie. Oh shit! Okay, all right. So, uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, so. Wow. Okay, so you missed like the first present day Nick Cage scene. Yeah. Um, maybe. You maybe. missed. You probably didn't get to the warehouse fight then. <laughs> this sounds very weird saying out loud. So when they went to the, get the drugs back, yep. and then... No, I saw that fight. Okay. I saw that fight. Yeah, so you missed the restaurant fight, which honestly was probably most of what you were asleep for. <laughs> did you did you see the part where Nick Cage was like, what the fuck is up with these bodies you brought me? If you brought me the bodies of innocent people... I would be at full health already. Get me some nuns. Get me a bus full of cheerleaders. Yeah, see I that? Saw that. Yeah, okay. I saw that. So he goes back to the restaurant, and there are nuns and cheerleaders. Oh, okay. And because the police have the pen from that place that he used to murder, they assume it's connected to the Lobos, right? So the Lobos oh. are trying to – they're trying to find the Lobos. The Lobos are trying to stop them. So six guys with machine guns roll up to this restaurant and try to kill Aquafina. <laughs> well, okay. Her partner, who it's later revealed is working with the Lobos, is in the shitter the whole time. Okay. So he's conveniently removed from the drama. Oh, all right. Okay. And uh, you saw the fight scene at the very end, right? Yeah. It's I w- that, but dark. Okay, I was awake for everything after that, so, so yeah. Yeah, and then, like, they kind of, they're like, wow, you're, like, kind of cool. Wow, you're, like, kind of cool. Anyway, I gotta go. Yeah, you do that. Thank you so much for your help, <laughs> Mr. Renfield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your help, nice cop lady. Ha ha ha. Um, yeah, I don't know, it was super cringe, honestly. Yeah. But as someone who 
stayed up for the movie and wrote a review for Nerd Caliber. Tell us your initial thoughts about Greenfield. Well, to stick with the allegory of movies being proud of the wrong things. <laughs> okay. God damn was this movie a lot about Aquafina trying to take down a crime ring <laughs> for a movie that it was supposed to be about Dracula and fucking Renfield. Yeah, <laughs> Aquafina was not needed in this movie, man. So the reason that I gave it two and a half stars is the parts about Nick Cage and Nick Holt were actually good. And I liked those. I just wish that there were more of them. Yeah. I wish that the movie was about what it was supposed to be about. And it wasn't. So that was cool. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Honestly, a lot of it I probably could have put up with. Like, the fact that it's weirdly anti-ska. Fine. Whatever. Um, That's a weird joke. It's a weird joke choice. But you know what? I appreciate it. Just picking a direction and running with it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I've met some men in checkered vans in, in my life that needed to go fuck themselves. It happens. <laughs> Hilarious. But I, just, I don't understand. It seems like there's either one of two things, right? They either had two unfinished scripts that they realized if they tried hard enough, they could, like, wedge together. <laughs> or... This was once going to be like a three-hour miniseries for Peacock, and then COVID ended, in air quotes. So they decided to cut it down to a 90-minute movie. Hilarious, yeah. But also, they weren't going to cut the fighting sequences because those were expensive and took a long time to shoot. So they had to keep as much of that as they could. I agree with you. I think the Dracula and Runfield pairing and then kind of anti-pairing that is what you will want to come see. So I was expecting that. And I just did not care about the cop and her sister. I, I did I did not care about that storyline at all. Primarily, I feel like it was kind of used just for one kind of just sort of dirty jokes that are just like what, what she kept saying. Fuck you, Cal. To get yeah. cheap, to get cheap laughs from the audience. And by the way, my, the audience I saw with, they were cutting up like, there's like a family there. There's like couples there and they're like laughing. And I was like, God bless. Cause, cause I got nary a chuckle in me. So, I mean, uh, there were a couple of jokes that I did like, like there were a couple that I was like, all right, movie, fuck you. You got me. Um, <laughs> one, one of the you, ones, Kyle, though. not fuck you, Kyle. Uh, one of the ones you slept through was, did I just watch you take a man's arm off with a decorative serving platter? At which point, Nick Holt drops it and goes, maybe. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> it was very dumb, and I liked it. I liked when everyone kept complimenting him on his sweater once he started wearing colors. Like, <laughs> yeah. And they all said the same thing. They were like, that is a very nice sweater. Or, like, when they that woman kept, keeps getting interrupted at therapy. And she's yeah. like, yeah, fuck you, Carol. I hate me, too. Like, <laughs> shit like that. I was like, okay, we get what's happening. Or thank you so much for bringing us all to, back to life uh, with, with your Dracula blood after we've all died and seen things we can never unsee. Yeah. Some of those jokes were very funny. And then there was fuck you, Kyle. And then there was, like, <laughs> ska. And then there was, like, just other weird shit. Yeah. So uh, you think there's going to be the sequel? I don't think so. I don't think they can. 
I think that Nicolas Cage is the draw, and he's dead. Uh, and they kind of said he was, but I don't, I don't the, know. The I I it would not surprise me if they tried to do a like quirky take on a different one of the classic monsters, and like maybe Renfield or Aquafina are there. Yeah. I was just so disappointed. I was really trying not to be optimistic about it because I was like, whatever. Like, I didn't love the Invisible Man thing that they tried to do. But at least I was like, fuck it. They're they're throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks with the monsters. And if they were just going to keep remaking them and trying to capture the magic of the 30s, like, the more you do that, the less it's going to do, you know? I appreciated the attempt to modernize Invisible Man. And I appreciated the attempt to satirize Dracula. But... It didn't land. And, like, they they kind of made fun of them for being, like, you know, the the relationship. I'm in a relationship with a narcissist. Except he kept referring to him as his boss. So they weren't even leading into the fact that the original was, like, really, really queer-coded and then dialed (laughs) the fuck back. Because Bram Stoker was a gay man in an abusive relationship who then married fucking Oscar Wilde's wife to be left alone by the British censors. Jeez. Yeah, Dracula is based off of a West End actor that Bram Stoker was in love with and oh, wow. who treated him like ass. He was Renfield. Oh, wow. Okay. And this movie could have leaned into that so hard. You know what my favorite joke was? All the flashbacks being filmed on film. <laughs> yeah. With all of the the aspect ratio changes and using those recreations of the original set. Like, fuck yes. Fuck Yes. Amazing. But there were so many things they could have done, right? Yeah. But, like, for whatever reason, they're both in their straight era. And I get the sense that that's because they don't want to offend anybody. Because these two men who live alone could not ever possibly be gay. There's no way they would explore each other's bodies. No way. There's no way that he literally seduces him into doing this in the first place, convincing (laughs) him to leave his wife and children behind to live a life of literal sin, of literal carnal sin with a man, whatever. Yeah. But also, like, they didn't let Nick Cage do enough Dracula-ing. Yeah, yeah. This is like a dream role for this guy, and he's in like 28 minutes of the fucking movie. Yeah, we got too much of the Lobos, too much of Ben Schwartz, too too much of that character, you know, it was, and there's, none of it was interesting. No one knew the tone of the movie. Did you notice that? The actors? Everyone had a different understanding of how serious the movie was, I felt. Or how unserious it was, maybe? Both. Because I yeah. feel like there were a lot of moments where Aquafina was like, this is my time. This is going to be my breakout dramatic performance. <laughs> and then sometimes she was just like, woohoo! And like, no in between. Yeah. Nicholas Holt was, I think, the closest to consistent. Him and Dracula were good. I wanted more of them. But like, Teddy Lobo was just off the deep end the whole time. Like, he was at a 15 the whole time, even when the movie needed him to be at a 2. But then his yeah. mom was at a 2 the whole time, even when the movie needed him to be at, her to be at a 15. Yeah, it it was very unbalanced. It was very unbalanced. So it was like the support group finally understands that he works for Dracula and they're all like, oh, holy shit. But not like really. They're all kind of like, oh, holy shit. 
And Dracula <laughs> is right there, like ripping them throats out, you know? Yeah. And then he tells Aquafina and is like, this is my situation. And Aquafina is like, oh my God, holy shit. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I- I'm fully convinced that I don't want to watch Aquafina in anything other than some sort of family drama. Yeah. And like, I thought we were kind of past this for her. Mm. <laughs> but also, Nicolas Cage has been on the record as saying, like, Dracula is a role that he's wanted to play for a really long time. And I I see it. He looks like Bella Lugosi. He's got the countenance down. I love the idea that he's gotten, like, a little unhinged because it's been a couple hundred years. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Sign me up. I'm in. Why isn't it about that? I don't know, man. Like, if it was about Renfield trying to leave Dracula, and through that he meets Aquafina, who maybe has also recently left an abusive relationship, and she happens to see a weird Renfield or Dracula thing, and she goes, shit, I have to help. Like, he's never going to be able to stand up to this, like, supernatural god emperor. <laughs> yeah. And that's what the movie's about. Then maybe I get it. Yeah. So, but that's not what it wound up being about. So It's it wound up being about Ben Schwartz for some reason. Which yeah. is fine. Like, I, I want yeah. his performance in a different movie. Like, I kind of want this mob thing. But not in my vampire movie. <laughs> yes. Is very much like 21 Jump Street sequel type shit. But also it's like, you can tell that a, a group of high-powered studio executives got together in a room and said, how do we make what we do in the shadows, but with our guy, the definitive vampire guy? But they like didn't understand what works about what we do in the shadows. They just were like, this is what people think are funny, and here's how we can wedge Dracula in there maybe. <laughs> yeah which is like not what what we do in the shadows is about i just i didn't get it i didn't like it i thought some of the violence was funny but at a certain point i realized like a third of that movie is ultra violence yeah with the cartoon blood that was the cgi blood was kind of strange i'm not gonna the, lie the cartoon blood was really intense but then the very realistic other gore yeah so there was like cartoon blood but then like which is horrifying other things happening. So even the gore couldn't settle on a tone. Yeah. When he's pushing his guts in, that's not really that funny. Oh, you missed that probably. No, um, I saw that. I okay. Saw that one. Yeah. Like that was kind of gross. But then everyone else has these like, again, this just like of blood every time. Yeah. A lot of uh, slit throats. Yeah. <laughs> Very strange choice. They had they had one effect they were comfortable with, and god damn it, they would be getting their money's worth out of it. But like it makes me sad, right? Because Chris McKay directed the Lego movie, which is one of my like wow. favorite kids' movies. But also the Lego Batman movie, which is just one of my favorite movies. Hmm. I think he must think that he was doing what he did for Lego Batman for this, for for Dracula. Uh, I don't know. 
And he does, except when he doesn't. Basically, this and MASH are the worst we've reviewed this season so far. Yeah, I think so. And I feel bad about it, but... I mean... Oh, well, listen to something positive. What's your favorite either Dracula or vampire media? I really like what we do in the shadows. I think it's very funny. And I think it's it's does a really great job of exploring like the weird ways that people would grow if they'd been alive for a really long time. Not necessarily oh, yeah. implying that they would like go crazy, but just like some of the the weird like if you had an extra hundred years to grow as a person, how would you grow in ways that we don't even think about? Yeah. In like a traditional narrative, which I think is pretty great. Dracula is just good. Like, I like the original movie. It's slow-paced and weird, but I like it. Um, I like that Bella Lugosi didn't speak enough English to, like, really improvise ever. He went directly off the script, and the reason that he looks angry the whole time is because he's, like, not understanding any of the direction he's given. And somehow <laughs> that makes it an even better performance. I really like the song If We Were Vampires by Jason Isbell because that also <laughs> posits part of what makes love precious is time, but also what if what if it didn't? What if we did have forever? It's a good song. High recommendation. <laughs> okay. I have a deep-seated dream to have Mina Harker's walking dress, the green with the diamond pleats, but, you know, whatever. Castlevania. Netflix anime based off the video games. Really good. Okay. Richard Armitage is in it. He is not the voice of Dracula, but Dracula is really good and he's really hot in like a really disturbing way. Oh, um, nice. But mostly just because he really loves his wife, okay? Okay. I'm also going to throw in, you know, I know we've talked about it a bajillion times already, but I really like the Lost Boys because I feel like they do a really good job. Obviously, it's a, a take on Peter Pan, but it's also the main kid whose name I'll never, ever remember because he doesn't fucking matter. Is there Renfield? Yeah, yeah. He starts, you know, running around and doing chores for them during the day, and he realizes that this relationship isn't sustainable and chooses to stay with his family. But he is half vampire like Renfield, and so is Star. Um, <laughs> there are there are so many better like for fuck's sake Fright Night. Yeah, I fucking love Fright Chris Night. Sarandon feeling up a teenager. You never saw the movie Interview with a Vampire? I think that may be my favorite one. I have not. Apparently, the show that they just did, I think last year, is way more forward with the homo eroticism. Well, the book uh, is very forward with it. Yeah, the movie is not. The movie is very not that. It's only like certain parts that are um, oh. insinuated, but they don't actually fucking. Also, I'm just going to give it up for the count real quick. He's pretty good. Okay. From Sesame Street. <laughs> okay. He's thought, a vampire. I, I thought you were setting up some movie I've never heard of before. But, oh, no, the count. The count. Yes, okay. the count. Oh, all right. All I'm going to say is if all of the cartoon violence in this movie had been done by the Count from Sesame Street. <laughs> May ought to stay awake for that. Shit. Just just ima- in my mind, I'm just seeing, you know, some, well, you don't watch a lot of Muppets, but sometimes in the Muppets, they just like 
pick up the puppet and throw them to imply that they leapt. And it looks really stupid because they just picked up a puppet and threw it. But like in my mind's eye, I am imagining that. Also, if you would like some queer vampires that are good, actually, and from a similar continuity of the original Dracula. No, I'm going to say Dracula's daughter. Oh, actually, you know what? God damn, I just watched this and I forgot that it's like my entire personality because it feels like it's always been there now. Fucking The Hunger. That's Mm. my favorite vampire movie, I think. Mm. It's David Bowie. Oh, that's on my watch list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg and I watched it a while ago, and it's so good. All right. It is so good. There is hot brunette David Bowie. There's other hot David Bowie moments. We get to see Susan Sarandon whole titties. There's lesbians. There's murder. There's good music. There's a bunch of creepy skeletons. Nice. It's good. All right. All right. So I think we've named literally a dozen projects to see before we're in film, so. Get to it, people. Get to it, man. Get to it. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate us five stars, leave a review, and tell a friend to tell a friend. Follow cat at cat underscore chin at t on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at show and mad love, S-H-O-W-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at cat and mark. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?